You beat me to it there, nice. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and warm, a warm welcome to the Red and Blue Review and a happy new year to each and every one of you from the Red and Blue family to your family. We wish you a happy new year. Coming up on tonight's show, we're going to be reviewing two games, the defeat away at Stamford Bridge and the home win, finally, uh, home to Brentford. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the transfer window and lots of other bits and pieces coming up. Um, and before I introduce you to the team, tonight's team, there are a couple of things I want to tell you about. For each and every one of you that have contributed towards uh, Claire Davis's uh, funeral arrangements, I, from the bottom of my heart and everybody on the team, I thank you very much. Uh, it's really good of you. Uh, they're, they're, they're making good strides towards a £10,000 target. Okay, If you have not had the opportunity to yet contribute, on your screen now, you will see a QR code. Feel free to grab your device of any description, iPad, mobile phone, or whatever it is. Nigel will leave that up while I'm talking for a second uh, to give you an opportunity to get your device to hand. Take a picture of that. It will take you straight to uh, the Just Giving page uh, and say we are aiming to get the bucket collection at Sellers on Saturday. It was really good, and we're going to be doing it again uh, for the home game against Sheffield United. Will certainly be in the fan zone for that day. Uh, also on the Sheffield United game, um, on the 11th minute, please spread the word all over social media, ladies and gentlemen, that we are going to be doing a minute's applause for little young Claire, uh, sorry, young Holly uh, on the 11th minute. Uh, I know Claire and her family will be in the ground, in the stadium that that uh, for that game. So please join us. Spread the word all over Twitter, Facebook, or whatever Facebook groups you're on. Please pass on the details about the minutes of applause on the 11th minute against Sheffield United. Uh, just to let you know, as I say, we are edging our way closer to that £10,000 target. Uh, and one of the items that you may be interested in, we're going to be having various auctions. Uh, uh, Greg Ellis, part of our family, Red and Blue Review family, has donated a framed signed Ian Wright show, uh, shirt. That will be uh, coming available in the next week or so. Also, on eBay right now, there is a Crystal Palace shirt uh, completely signed by the squad. It's a 2000, year 2000 shirt uh, for a game against Tramia Rovers. And that's also been kindly donated for us. Uh, that is on eBay now. If you want the details of that, please contact me after the show. I'll send you a link to the eBay page. So, uh, Lots of things happening, of course. Nigel, are you going to bring the other gentlemen up? Because it would be nice to see them. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say most of them. We've also got Tim Richards with us. Good evening, Tim. How are you doing, mate? Good, thank you. Happy New Year, everyone. And to you, my friend, and to you. Uh, welcome back, my wingman Ian Noble. Nobly, happy New Year to you, mate. How are you? Good evening, Nick. Yes, and good evening, everybody. Uh, happy New Year. Uh, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Look at the look behind this bloke here. Paul Gear, welcome back. How many is this now? Three, four? Uh, third one, yeah. Third, third, back third again. one. And I reckon you get a new shirt every time you come on the show. <laughs> well, whenever they release them, I buy them. So let's hope they stop because I'm running out so of how money. Many, how many in the collection? Uh, I've got 89. I've got every shirt they've released 89. since 1988. So have you ever tried to put a sterling value on that? Probably not, no. There's probably actually only two that are worth anything. Uh, one was the uh, Cup Final Replay shirt, which was very limited edition until they bought out a, very kindly bought out a retro version, which sort of knocked all the value out of that, I imagine. And I got a one, when we won the championship in 94, they did a special limited edition one with a uh, an embroidered trophy on, on the shirt. So I got one of those, one of the thousand of those. So that could be worth saying. But the rest of them these days, like football programmes, they, they produce so many and everyone collects them, they, they don't really have much value. But it's just for my for my pleasure. But the mortgage—you haven't paid the mortgage for the last five years, I bet. Oh God, no! Yeah, I don't. I don't. I can't. Uh, I can't uh, drink alcohol or anything. Spend money on it. For those of you interested, just to let you know, uh, the young lad on the darts. Thanks, John. Uh, is one set down to Cross and Brighton and West Ham are still currently drawing naught naught. Just to show that we are absolutely live on your. Facebook, on your YouTube, wherever you find us, please like and subscribe. Tell the world about the Red and Blue Review. We are here for your pleasure. Um, so what we're going to do, I think what we'll do, lads, is we're going to kick off. Uh, who went to the Chelsea game out of the three of you? Did any of you go? Not me. 
Paul, you were there. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was, do you know what? It was, Tim and I had a little chat off air. It was it yesterday, Tim? And we were talking about the fact that he's going to be covering the game in a second. Um, and I think we were all pleasantly surprised of how good the performance was. And, yeah, I don't think we disgraced ourselves in any way. I mean, the penalty, Paul, you were, we were at the other end of the ground. Um, yeah. I didn't actually see what the what the incident was uh, that, that led to their winning goal. But I think, you know, in hindsight, having looked at it back since then, it, it was definitely a penalty. Um, could you see it clearly from from your standpoint? You only saw it coming together. You saw someone and a clash and them going down and all appealing like mad. Uh, I think the thing that gave it away a bit to us was we went straight down to our end and we got a corner and Eze came over to take it and he, he looked a bit sheepish. I think he knew what was coming, having made the tackle himself. So, uh, yeah, he was trying to sort of hide it. But I think it was always, once it was reviewed, it was always going to be given. And, you know, the other thing the other thing that gave it away for me was actually, and it was quite significant, was the noise from the other end of the stadium. Uh, the Chelsea fans, bear in mind, they hadn't made any noise all bloody evening. Even when they scored, they still hadn't made any noise. Uh, what a disgrace of the fan base they are, by the way. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm rowing, I digress, but I'm rowing with some bloke on the stand to our right. That he's sitting there, okay, Chelsea just scored their first goal, and he's sitting there with a cup of tea. He didn't get up and cheer or anything. I'm going, tea? And I won't do the hand gesture that I did, but you know you know the one it was. He's sitting there with a cup of tea when your team had just scored. Oh, Anyway, you, you could tell from the crowd's response that it was uh, you know, there was definitely going to be something in it. And you're right to point out about Eze, because I saw him when he came down to take that corner. And he was looking up back at the referee thinking, yeah. uh, yeah. this is not going to go away. Anyway, so good evening, boys. Welcome and thank you for joining me this evening. Uh, Tim, I'm going to hand straight over to you, if you don't mind, and, uh, and get into a, a short review of the Chelsea game, if you'd be so kind. Cool. Yeah, no worries. First of all, uh, greetings, Joey Porcelli. I hope that's right. A new fan from the US has joined us. So greetings and hopefully a long term, you'll be a long term fan. So the starting lineup, as, as we can see on the screen, I don't think there was any um, surprises with that, to be honest, um, Roy being Roy. Um, so, yeah, so, so basically I've got to keep it short. So I'm not going to mention every single thing that happened, um, but I wanted to talk about a few points and more an overall feeling of, of the game, considering some of the performances we'd had before that. Uh, I think to start off with, a quote from Paul Parker, who was on commentary for London Live or whoever it was that was doing the commentary, um, he actually said he could never remember seeing a Palace team pass the ball so much and he would have thought that Palace were the home team. Um, and up until 13 minutes, I think that's probably pretty pretty bang on. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised with, with how we were playing. Uh, Hodgson, masterclass, he got it straight, no problems at all. Up until the 13th minute when Chelsea scored their first through Mudrick. Now, the only reason really they scored was because Klein fell over. He slipped over left the space, the overlap, ball came across. It was disappointing that, that he was left, basically, no, there were like four Palace defenders around, but he was unmarked and he was in the middle, slotted the ball home. So, 1-0 up to Chelsea. Um, game carried on, and again, we I thought we played well. Uh, we had some good movement. Richards, again, I, I mentioned like Henderson, I thought, in goal, had a good game. Richards, again, um, Another great game, considering he's playing the position that he's not used to playing. Um, I thought he did really well. And Elise, it's a bit like the Elise show, wasn't it? He started and he was running uh, there, left back, ragged. I mean, he was playing so well. And the rest of the first half pretty much carried on the same, um, the same way. Both teams kind of going for it. But we definitely, I think, looked like that we, um, we were the better team. Even Mateta was holding the ball up. He was harrying, and again, it was a high press. And look what happens when you press teams, they don't like it, and it was good to see. Um, the other thing I'd like to mention is Mitchell. Uh, great covering. He's, he's had some flat this year, but again, I thought the last few games he played really well. And again, again against Chelsea, he was in the right place covering, and he stopped a goal. You know, it wasn't exactly a goal line clearance, but he got back and he knocked the ball away. Um, apart from that, really, Chelsea didn't offer very much. 
Uh, as the first half was coming towards an end, again, we were breaking. Uh, Mateta lost the ball. He was crowded out. It wasn't really his fault. But again, Richard's great tackle. Got in there, got the ball, Ayu. And finally, Ayu did what we've been pining for him to do, a first-time cross and a real quality cross. Straight to the back post, there's Olise unmarked, traps the ball on his chest down, first-time left-foot shot, bottom corner, and the Chelsea fans hated it. It was great to see the, the hand gestures and then this, that and the other, um, but superb. Um, great goal. Uh, the, the way end went mental, as did three Ifield plays Greenhithe. Superb goal. And again, just to finish off that first half, You've got to say what an what a what an effort, not only from the team but the support as well. It was great. All you could hear were the Palace fans. You barely heard Chelsea. Um, I, I agree with Nick. Chelsea fans from like the semi-final, cup semi-final, a couple of years ago, eighteen months ago, they were awful, and they've never been any different. So um, first half done. If uh, any of you guys want to make any comments or uh, bring up anything, I think it's worth worth highlighting um, Chris Richards' tackle that won the ball yeah. in the midfield in the first place for the goal. I mean, it was superb, excellent. You know, he, he, he was really full on. He won the ball and um, he passed it out wide to I who, who did the rest. But it was a super, you know, he, he plays well in that role, doesn't he? And uh, he's brought mm. a lot to the side since he's got his place in the, in the team. So, you know, it really is worth highlighting um, his contribution to assist the assister, if you like, with, with our goal at Stamford Bridge. Paul, your thoughts on Elise's goal? That <clears throat> oh, was a great goal. I mean, te technically, I know the commentators were drooling a bit over it. I mean, his first touch on the chest, he killed it dead. And then to half volley it straight in from there. I mean, he, he seems to have stepped up a notch since he's come back. I don't know whether he was trying to prove a point to Chelsea with all the transfer stuff in the summer. Um, but he really was, he was aggressive. He ran at them every time he got the chance. And... Uh, yeah, he just seems to be on a mission since he's come back, to be honest. I mean, he's scored more goals in, since he's come back than he'd scored in the previous two seasons in the league. So, um, but yeah, it was a cracking goal and a great time to score. It really did, uh, I would say, shut them up, but they were already quiet anyway. Um, but yeah, gave us a real impetus for the second half, which as Tim will probably come into. We, we did actually take into the second half, which was nice to see. Okay, Tim, back to you, mate. Yeah, so second half, yeah, and as Paul said, kicks off pretty much the same as the first half. We were on the front side. It was so pleasant and such a nice thing to see that, you know, Roy didn't do a usual Roy and let's hold on and not concede. We went for it and again, we started off, I can't remember how quickly it was, but a great move down the right-hand right side. Mateta, I don't know what's up with him at the moment, but the Chelsea defender gets far too close and he just rolls in, knocks the ball on. Great. Turn to speed. I didn't know he was that quick, but for a big man, he covered into the penalty area. Good effort on target, caused a good save from the keeper. Um, uh, and then basically, I guess, and this is where I still have issues with Roy. Um, we were covering a lot of ground, and I'm not sure if it's that the players were getting tired as the second half wound on. Um, but Chelsea came more into it. Um, they had a goal ruled off the offside. Shame. Uh, he was offside. I mean, no matter how thick you make the line, it was offside. Um, but they carried on. We had a couple of chances. They had a couple of chances. Elise again brought another fine save from the Chelsea keeper. Uh, but then it came towards the end where uh, Chelsea corner, ball comes across, wasn't really cleared too well. Um, and as was already mentioned, um, <laughs> It's kind of, it's interesting because Paul Parker on the commentary was saying, no way, was that a penalty? He said, yeah, there was contact, but Ezzy didn't go towards him. Ezzy was stationary. The Chelsea player, more to my mind, yes, we would have been gutted if it wasn't given. But the Chelsea player left his leg there. He didn't have to. And he could have kept going and probably got a shut off, but he didn't. There was contact. He went down. But again, Razor, Razor um, whatever his name, Razor Ruddock was saying as well, about the Liverpool pen um, penalty that wasn't a penalty. Just because it's contact doesn't mean it's a foul. It's a contact sport. So, yeah, we would have been upset if that penalty hadn't been given for us. But Eze, I don't think, did too much wrong. He didn't go towards him. He was just stopped still. But penalty was given. He took it well. Um, so, so basically, yeah, so that's it. We lost 2-1, but I thought we were brilliant. I thought we definitely deserved a point from the game. 
But I do say, you know, with 70 minutes to go, um, it would have been really good if Roya brought on some um, some fresh legs because I think we were just – I was going to put the power on. <laughs> um, I think you were just basically going to run out. We just didn't have um, anything left, to be honest. Nigel, you got some stats for us, mate, please? There you go. Probably what you would actually expect, but what surprised me there is 13 shots for Palace, five of which were on target. Um, it was quite a scrappy game. I think the conditions uh, made out that it was going to be that way. Quite a few fouls for both sides, as you can see. Um, I'm interested, Nigel, can you go back to that shot of the manager, please, that you had on screen a second ago? Boys, so this is obviously pre the Brentford game. Um I'd like some honesty from all three of you, if you'd be so kind. At that point, okay, and nobody probably expected us to get too much out of the Chelsea game, and we did play reasonably well. I think it was a much better performance. At 90 minutes, the whistle's gone, or 100 minutes of the whistle's gone. Were you, he's gone, or were you, give him another few games? Ian Noble, you first. Yeah, I, I was in the Royale camp after that game, really. Um I just think not because of the results or not because of the way we've been playing, but because of Roy and his his attitude to interviewers and his general demeanour. It looked as if he's had enough. Looked as if, you know, I'm 76 years of age. I've been in management 47 years. I've got a CBE for my services to football. Why am I doing this now? I should be, you know, putting my feet up and enjoying life. And um, I just don't think he's enjoying it. And that's why I thought he would part company with Crystal Palace Football Club. Um, maybe after the after the Brentford game, I thought he'd, ha he'd have the Brentford game. Um, but I thought now would be a good time, given that, yeah, OK, we want to progress in the cup, but we haven't got another league game for three weeks. It would be a good time to change the manager. And I thought he would walk, I think, you know, but providing the club had someone lined up. And I think that might be the sticking point. They just simply haven't. And 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 Steve Parrish has probably said to him, mate, you've got to keep going to the end of the season. We'll appreciate that. And uh, you'll keep us up. So I think now, although I was thinking after that Chelsea game that he was he was going, I think now he will probably stay, um, notwithstanding the result, which we'll come on to talk about um, regarding the, the Brentford match. OK, Paul, um... I've never asked you this question, so fire away. Your thoughts on the manager's position, in or out at that point? <clears throat> uh, well, he was always uh, he was always going to get the Brentford game. Um, I, I think if he, he lost that, I think he would have probably been gone by now. I think losing you've got the excuse of losing at Chelsea, losing at Liverpool. All these results that when you, we played well, if we don't play well and you get a bad result, then there's bad things. He will always be able to argue we had a good performance. Um, I do think uh, I'm. I generally I didn't want Roy back in the summer. I I don't think I think football has progressed from his tactics, and he showed us in the last few weeks, in a nutshell, why those are. As as Tim said, we should have been at 70 minutes. We should have been bringing players on. Chelsea bought four, three or four players on at that time because they freshened it up, and we don't do anything about it. As they hadn't played, he was coming back. It was first game. He shouldn't have been playing 90 minutes. That could have contributed to the penalty at the end. Um, but I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Franca and, and all these other players. Ahamada, bring them on. Bring fresh legs on. Bring. I saw Chelsea on Christmas Eve at Wolves and their defence was there for the taking. They You put them under pressure and they wilt. And we should have been running at them and, and attacking them. But he, he's too cautious and he always has been. And this is, this is the big problem we all have with him. And this is why I probably think we need a more progressive manager at the end of the day. But as I've said before uh, on the show, actually, while we have a six-point buffer, he won't be going anywhere. Um, the minute Luton or one of the bottom three get to within touching distance, which they were, they were three points behind us and there was a bit of unrest, that's when the talk will happen. But if he keeps the six-point buffer, then they'll keep him happily. And as I say, so that's up. So in that respect, if he can keep winning these games that he needs to and keeps that just above head above water, he'll be, he'll, he'll be, he'll be staying. And yeah, I, I personally think we need a new manager. Just for things like that, it's the last few games you've seen, even against Brighton, against uh, Brentford, they bring players on on the 60, 70 minute mark. And it, it does galvanise the team, it refreshes the team, gives something else to think about. And as you say, I, there's rumours that Elise pulled up the other day. He's played a lot of football um, and 
maybe bring him off. I know, I know he's on a hat-trick and all this sort of stuff, but sometimes you have to take matters into your own hands. And these players, the reason we get these injuries probably is because they're being overplayed. They should be coming off with 10, 20 minutes to go, even rotating that round the team and just giving fresh... A, it gives you the subs coming on. They've got more experience when we do need them to play. And also it's resting these players up a bit because the more you thrash them and thrash them, we will get these injuries. But yeah, as they say, while, while he gets these results, he will stay in, in post. Um, it's going to be interesting to see as we'll come to the transfer windows and things like that, how that will affect that. But yeah, if he keeps keeps us above the uh, the dreaded drop line with enough points to spare, he won't be going anywhere. And that's not down to his abilities. It's just down to yeah the opposition not threatening us. Fascinating stuff, mate. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. Sim, um, Ian has alluded to uh, his spikiness on some of the interviews on the train on the way home from the Chelsea game. Um, I was already aware because people were tweeting it out, people that were actually in the interview room post-game, that he was really spiky with a couple of the interviewers. Uh, we've actually discussed it on the show over the last few weeks, how poor some of his responses have been calling out the young kids and everything else. We're very lucky on this show to have a professional broadcaster in Tim Richards, who regularly appears on TalkSport. Tim, your your thoughts on his some of his interviews, please? <laughs> well, you know, I spoke to my agent um, about it. <laughs> you know, there's some interesting things coming up, but I, yeah, he's... He's definitely had enough, and who can blame him? I mean, the amount of games, how he's seen his football change over the years and to what it is now with VAR. I mean, I'm sure, or I know uh, Ian will talk about it on Saturday, four minutes for that first goal. Um, but I, what I find so frustrating with, with Roy and why I think he has to go um, is take the Man City game, for example. With, was it 15 minutes to go, he had to make, he was forced to make changes. He brought Francer on and a couple of others. And look the change, the difference it made to the game. We ended up getting 2-2. Now, I would want my manager to go, oh, hold on. We gave them a go against the best club side in the world. And that's what they did. Let's give them another go. Let's, let's try it again. But no, on the subs bench, no change. Same squad going out. For me, that's that's why he has to go because he won't because they won't be able to get somebody else, which is why we ended up with him in the first place. So it's all very well saying he's got to go, but you've got to replace him. You've got to have another manager that will take the job. And nobody of any quality wants the job, and we all know why. It's the same old story. We had this discussion 18 months again ago, boys, yeah. talking about succession planning. Uh, so there you go. But one thing that he will be forced into, and we will do the Brentford game in a minute, Ian, I promise you, one thing he will be forced into um, this week, of course, is probably playing Franca and giving Franca a free role simply because Ayu has now gone off to the AFCON. Um, is that the right swap over, Ian, of personnel? Yeah, it depends on the opposition. But yeah, I'd like to see Franca get a start. Um, many will make a case for Jeffrey Schlupp. I thought he might be going to AFCON as well, but I don't think he is. I think he's staying behind. He's not going, is he? No. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, the probably the Roy replacement would be Schlupp, probably, you know, for uh, for IU. But, or even Edouard, if Edouard's fit. Edouard can play left as well. So, you know, certainly he's got to make some changes with IU not being available. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the FA Cup, um, I think... You know, we'll talk more about this later, but I don't think we'll see Michael Elise either in that selection because he has got a tight hamstring. And and the rumour is that, you know, he needs to be rested, as Paul said earlier, to play too much football too quickly uh, and to make sure he's available for that Arsenal fixture, which is arguably more important than the Everton FA Cup tie. So I think those two players will be missing. Therefore, it gives others an opportunity. But other than that, I think he'll go full strength in the FA Cup. Um, what he should do anyway, given the time lapse between that and the next game. Thank you. Uh, everybody out in Facebook land and YouTube, I can see your comments going through, each and every one of them. Sam, I've just seen your comment, agreeing with Ian. You think uh, Schlupp will go straight back in. Um, I don't know whether that's the right answer. In fact, if I was not playing, and obviously, sorry, I was not playing, and Elise is injured, um, maybe he's a... a Maybe there's actually a position for both of those to come in. Um, so we'll see. OK, so that's the uh, Chelsea defeat. Um, it was a good performance. I'm not going to be negative about it. Uh, 
And as Tim mentioned, I thought the crowd were excellent. For the first time in years, I actually went to that game with one of my sons. And it's one of my sons that doesn't normally go because he's a Chelsea fan. And we stood together. Uh, and all he wanted to do, because he hadn't been to a game, he hadn't seen a Chelsea game for years, he actually wanted to see, he wanted to experience what the Palace crowd are like when they score. Obviously, he hears a lot about the Palace crowd. And he also wanted to experience what the Chelsea crowd was like when, when they scored. And bearing in mind, he's a Chelsea fan, and he was witnessing witnessing me having this discussion, shall we say, with this particular Chelsea supporter 50 yards away. And he said, Dad, they are appalling. To, as a Chelsea fan, they are embarrassing. Well, and I couldn't agree with him more. He, you know, he's got quite a se- James has got quite a sensible head on his shoulders. And I have to say to you, they were just even off. And we were seeing what, what were you seeing to them, Paul? One nil, and you still don't see. Yeah. Because yeah. they were just crap. They were just garbage. Anyway, that so uh, so that performance then led us quite nicely into the home game against uh Brentford. Now, my thought process on this this particular fixture is why is anybody going to the game? Why couldn't anybody be bothered to go to this match? Because we know it's going to be a draw. Historic. I mean, I don't think there's been any other result in the Premier League, in our Premier League era, Paul. You're, is that right? right? Five draws out of five, it was, yeah. Five draws out of five, thank you. So, I, you know, to me, it was a, a banker draw, score draw in that game. Well, I'm delighted to say, Mr Noble, over to you. You're about to tell us differently. Yes, indeed. I think there were... Um, three one ones and and two nil nils in that, and there you have our panel and Yasmin and Kimberly and um, pre match in the main stand, um, before the Brentford game. So uh, Tim still wearing the same t shirt. He's only got one t shirt. Um, there we go. T shirt. Somebody have a whip round. Get me another t shirt. <laughs> um, this is a horrible thing, you know. Bullying, <laughs> Tim. Just plain bullying, mate. Um, the first thing to say is that Brentford turned us around. I hate that when that happens at Sellers, don't you? I just can't stand it. Um, they win the toss and they make us, a, you know, um, attack the homestand in the in the first half. Um, a game starts, and it couldn't have started any worse, could it? Well, before we get into the game, let's talk about a little bit about the lineup. There it is on the screen in front of you. Um, for those uh, listening on the pod, it's Henderson. Klein, Gahey, Anderson, Mitchell, Lerma, Richards, Elise, Eze, or Eza, I should say, Ayu and Mateta. Um, no change from the Chelsea game three days earlier. Um, uh, same lineup. Um, and, you know, we, we start, we're at home to Brentford. High expectations, of course, in that kind of game. Um, you know, we go into that game thinking, yes, it's the kind of game we should be winning. And yes, we've got this history of these drawn games against them. And within two minutes, we're 1-0 behind. And it was, I think we were just caught cold. I think Anderson um, it w- was partly culpable. You know, he could have cut it out. I think Mitchell was partly culpable. Gahey was partly culpable here, where, you know, all three of those players could, have, on another day, further into the game, maybe cut cut the ball out and, and got a, a touch to it to avoid the cross or cut the cross out. But the guy finished it well, um, double-barreled name, playing for Brentford. Um, and then, as Tim said earlier, we had about a four-minute wait with VAR to check to see whether it was offside. It's, it's, it's absolutely shocking. And if you're in the ground and you're experiencing this, it's just not nice. And it, I think it's the first time ever I've, ex- I've heard both sets of fans berating VAR, telling, telling uh, the, the officials and everyone else what they think of VAR um, uh, while that was going on. And you, you do think when it's against you, you're sort of hoping, I suppose, that because it's taken such a long time, they've found an angle and it's going to be offside. But the goal was obviously given and we're 1-0 behind. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but I, I, I wasn't overly concerned. I was thinking, OK, we're 1-0 down, but I still think we'll do all right here. And I said to the guy sitting next to her, I said, we're going to win 4-1 here. This will be 4-1. And I wasn't far off, to be fair. And... It really was. We, we talked about him in the in about in the Chelsea game, but it really was the Michael Elise show. Michael Elise was unplayable in this game against Brentford. He was absolutely magnificent. Um, I mean, yeah, the first goal, um, he made it himself. He crossed it deep from the right to the left. Are you crosses it back in? It's a perfect ball in. 
and he catches it on the volley there with the outside of his left foot. He still had an awful lot to do here. But it was a magnificent goal. And this is after just 13 minutes. So, you know, literally nine minutes after the VAR decision has been made to make it 1-0, we're back on level terms. And once we're back on level terms, suddenly the momentum is with us, not with Brentford. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't long before, you know, we, we, we made further attacks. Uh, Mitchell got into the box. Uh, he played the ball, or he played the ball rather into the box. Mateta, what a nice little dummy. Did he dummy it? Did he mean to? Was that deliberate, boys? Was that deliberate? He just missed it, didn't he? But as I, as I, as I, come, come on to this. Puts it on his left foot, sweet as you like, into the corner, 2-1. Uh, and that was on 39 minutes. Um, and, you know, Crystal Palace, you know, at that time, we really looked like a team in the ascendancy uh, as if we were going to go on and 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 win the game. Um, and we go in at half time and we turn it around from 1-0 down to 2-1. So, you know, it, it's it, it's going well. Um, second half starts and um, Elise has another shot that was saved. Um, what else am I saying to my notes here? Um yeah, then then the third goal came. It was Gahey who got into the midfield. He passed it to Elise. Uh, he still had a lot to do. Cuts it inside on his left foot and um, makes it 3-1 on 58 minutes. Uh, more Elise magic to uh, Eza um, in a central position. Shot was uh, saved. Um, and then at 3-1, we sort of t- t- we sat back a bit, I think. Um, and Ray Lunson was on the sideline trying to get the Palace team not to sit back as deep and trying to move them up the pitch. That's right. And we sat back a bit and it was that horrible little player that used to play on the South Coast. He got hold of it and he hit the bar, to be fair. It was a really cracking effort and he was a bit unlucky and the ball bounced back into play. Um, uh, we then uh, had an Elise free kick um, from the left-hand side. Anderson headed just wide. That wasn't that wasn't far away at all. Um, I think a lot of people sort of missed that one. Uh, and then Henderson's wonder save towards the end. Absolutely top draw. This isn't the best photograph of it. It's I don't know he does that photo, Nigel, but um, somehow he clawed that away. That it's is vintage Gordon Banks, isn't it? Yeah, it's brilliant save, isn't it? Yeah, if, you, if anyone remembers Gordon Banks, it's the kind of save he, he was making for England back in Mexico 1970, you know, clawing the ball away when actually everyone else thought the ball was in the back of the net. And it was just tremendous. And that really kept us in the game uh, to win the game 3-1. Um, and, you know, we, we could have had more goals. Um, we, we, we were the better side. Um, I messaged a mate of mine who I used to play football with. Uh, regularly, um, he was a he's a Brentford fan. He was in the away end, and I messaged him after the game, uh, and I said, "How are you feeling about that? Do you think it's right?" And he said, "Well, the difference was Elise and Eza; they were just unplayable." And you know, well done you. To be fair, he did say he felt it was the probably the worst he'd seen Brentford since they had been promoted. Um, which you know, he's he's, he's going to say that, isn't he? Maybe, but you know, they're without their their talisman um, and Bumo. Um, obviously, Tony hasn't played all season. He's back now for them shortly. Uh, and there were other players out, like I think Ben Mee was missing as well. So yeah, there, were, there are other players that would normally get in their side that they had injuries as well. Um, the other thing to say probably is it was only the third time this season that both Elise and Ezra had started together. Um, Luton away, Chelsea away, and now for the first time at Sellers Park. And it was the first time both of them had completed 90 minutes together. Um, I think. Oh no, Chelsea was the same. But Chelsea was the first time they did that. But uh, but you know, I think if you get the two of them together clicking, then we've got every chance of, of, of pushing on. Um, as I said earlier, the Elise hamstring just a little bit of a scare at the end there, and um, hopefully he's going to be okay for the next league game. So there, there's the stats. Um, roughly fifty fifty. They had slightly edged it. Um, uh, Brentford Brexit style fifty two in favour. Um, 13 shots for us and um, everything else is fairly even. So, you know, great win. Um, the kind of win, as I said, we, we'd expect to, to, to get at the beginning of the season. And, and when you look back on the previous games, um, I said this to someone <coughs> online, you know, you play Liverpool at home, City away, Brighton at home, Chelsea away. Those four games, would you have necessarily expected to get more than a couple of points from those games when you look at them? pre-game, you might not have done. 
So yeah. it's not the end of the world. And as we said earlier, too, we're playing quite well in those games. And we brought that into the Brentford game and we got the result. We still had a performance as well. So I think it bodes quite well, you know, for, for the, the next set of fixtures. So um, I, for one, am fairly bullish. My glass is half full. And um, I'll say, well done, lads. Good result. He's gone, from a, he's gone from a red wine to a glass of water. Mm. Right, ladies and gentlemen, thank right. you. Magic again. Back, back to yeah. <laughs> thank you for that, Ian. Um, before we move on to the next segment, I am aware that our very good friends from the DSA, Disabled Supporters Association, Bruce and Lindsay, are both watching the show this evening. Good evening to you. And as if by magic, a slide appears. Look at that. The CPFC, DSA Social Evening. Children are welcome. It's Saturday the 13th of January, 7pm at Sparoni's at Sellers Park. You don't have to be a disabled supporter. You don't even have to have a member of your family that is disabled. You are welcome along. And we've been to one of these events. Ian and I have been blessed to be invited to one of these events. And I'm telling you now, if you've never attended one of their, their things, it's fantastic. They are Lovely people, super, super people that do a cracking job. Guest speaker, raffle quiz. Uh, you can find more information at info at cpfcdsa.org. That's info at cpfcdsa.org. Please, if you get the opportunity to go down there, uh, look, Lindsay's already messaging us back in the chat. Uh, we will always support you, Lindsay. You have my and the team's any any events? Oh, Lindsay, I did get asked a question, as I know you're there. Uh, what did the boot go for, was the question I got asked. What did the boot, and Bruce, you're not blushing, I'm telling you now. Um, what did the boot go for, was the question I was asked on social media. If you can answer us in the chat, I'll read it out in a second. Uh, Sam White saying, will I be the guest speaker? No, I don't think so. Uh, Tired of the sound of my own voice. I normally leave that sort of thing to Ian Noble, who's pretty good. Right, boys, I'm about to scare the life out of you, okay? Hold tight. We've just sold Michael Elise and Eze in this transfer window. What happens to our world? Ian yeah. Noble. I thought you were serious for a minute. No, of course you're not serious. Um, what happens to our world? Well, it... it it, you know, that's just it's just not on basically. Um, they're not for sale. Someone <laughs> said, How much is Michael Elise worth? I said, it's, it's priceless at the moment. Um, yes, of course, he'll go to a bigger club at some point. Uh, you know, everyone's talking about him, he's certainly not doing himself any harm at the moment. His, his, his you know, his, his appearances and the quality of his play adding goals to his game. Um, I don't think the club would let them both go at the same time. That's the first thing I would say. I think they would absolutely dig their heels in and say, no, one of you can go, but the other one's not. Um, and it's probably more likely to be Elise that goes first now. Um, but um, it won't happen to the summer. And if it does, it's going to be for big, big money. Big money. I'm talking 80 million plus, maybe 100 mil. Um, Breaking news, Paul. Mark Geehy and, and Czech to Corey have also just been sold. What happens to our world, Paul? Uh, well, I, I'm not going to lie. Check the core gets sold at the moment. It's probably not the end of the world because he's not going to play again this season. Um, Mark Gay gets centre backs. We're a little bit more safe in that respect. But again, they're going to go at some point, and we do have we do have cover in that area. Chris Richards has shown he's a, a good centre back. So, if you wanted to raise money and have the least effect on the team, you want to sell one of those two. To be honest, um, but yeah, it's we we don't want to be selling anyone in January. I, I know, like any club, if you get a ridiculous bid, then you have to consider it. But we're not in a position to do that. If we, if we want to bring in a new manager in the summer, we need to say, this is the squad you're going to have. They can look, whatever. But if you start decimating it now, they don't know what they're going to come into. And we won't spend the money. We can't buy, we're not going to buy anyone significant in the transfer window simply because of the manager situation. So we're looking at loans. They've already said that. Um, and you just have to look at last year. We bought Patrick, we did buy one player, we bought a, a Hamada. Vieira and then when Vieira went Hodgson came and didn't touch him and he's not really touched him since so that's proof of the pudding you don't buy players for a manager you're not going to keep so that's why they're looking at loans and there's, as I say if you're going to buy a player you've got to get Hodgson's buy-in because if you don't get his buy-in he's not going to play him so it's a waste of money look at Franca 
Uh, and if you're getting a Hodgson player, then it's for a Hodgson-type team. And I don't really think we want that going forward, do we? We want a different style of team, so a different style of player. So they're going to... They, if they don't get anyone on loan, it's a bit negligent, to be honest. The squad, they know it needs it. Um, so it would be very, very disappointing if, if they don't get anyone. So they have to get loans, really. And yeah, <coughs> it's interesting to see where they target. But certainly selling anyone would be very... Sort of the most astronomical bid selling anyone would be very silly business right now. They'll all be worth... Whatever they're worth now, they'll be worth in the summer simply because their contracts are long enough now. We've actually done some competent work there for once. So it's not like we're having to sell someone quickly because their contract's running down. So, yeah, selling someone would be foolhardy. For those of you who are interested, the young fella, Littler, is now 3-1 up in the darts and it's still nil-nil in the 54th minute in the West Ham Brighton game. Tim, can you see a, a scenario where one of those four, big four that I've just mentioned, does get sold this this window? I don't think we can afford to let anyone go. To be fair, our squad's as thin as it is, is so thin anyway. And, and what concerns me is even if we did sell one of those, two of those, and got big money, there's no way that money would actually get used to buy replacement players. So we can't afford, if we want to stay in the league, we can't, our squad's too thin, we can't afford to let anyone like that go. I could see Mateta going. To be fair, if anyone's going to go, um, but also we had an interesting conversation on Saturday, and I would say the highlight of my Saturday afternoon at Sellers Park with Ian Noble getting told to sit down by a rather angry lady behind us that was highly entertaining. Um, but the conversation was Zaha, um, not in the Galatasaray side, not very happy. You know, loan. You know, we can only do loans. He's damn sight better than any strikers we've got at the moment. Would you have him back for the rest of the season? Before I let Ian answer that, um, good evening, Mike Howe. Great having that chat with you yesterday, mate. Love to the family. Zaha question, Ian? No, 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 no. no Zaha's been in gold once and come back. Zaha, uh, we've just got to accept that, that Wilf has moved on for, for good. I don't think we're going to see Wilfred Zaha back in a Palace shirt ever again. Um, uh, uh, you know, he's been, it was great, but, you know, he's, he's not coming back to us. That, that's what I believe um he doesn't fit the mold of of young players at crystal palace with you know saleable value in the future um so you know i don't buy into that one at all the other player that's been linked with the move away that you haven't mentioned nick is uh, joachim anderson um uh, newcastle are very interested in joachim anderson right yeah, side of awesome. uh, and I, I worry about that one because i think he's He's equally as valuable as Mark Gahey. I don't think there's much to choose between them, really. You know, one's an English international, one's a Danish international. Um, I think they're both as good as each other. And so I think that Joachim Anderson needs to be in that um, conversation as well. Um, but, uh, you know, let's hope. I, th- I saw some comments go through in the chat saying that I don't think we'll see any sales in this window and and the other and the other one that you mentioned tim john philippe mateta um with the window approaching suddenly he's playing better and he's 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 suddenly looking like the player we wanted him to be uh and yeah he played really really well against brentford on saturday he played well against chelsea and yeah he didn't get any assists or goals in those games but he was he was instrumental in in uh, holding the ball up and bringing others into play uh, and, and being a nuisance. I mean that big centre half from Brentford knew he'd been in a game on Saturday against Mateta. He really oh, did. He, what was great to see when yeah. he came off with a massive smile on his face. He, he, he's clearly enjoying his football, which yeah, I think absolutely. is half the battle. You know, with these players, you know, they get paid lots of money. You know, they don't even need to play, do they? They can sit on a bench and earn, you know, 50 grand a week or something. But, you know, when, they, when they're when they enjoying it as well, I think that's, um, you know, breeds confidence and they, they want to they they get out of the pitch the next game. They want to play and they want to do everything they can and, and put a shift in for the shirt. So, Paul, final word, please, on the Zaha thing. I notice he's, he's not even starting these days for Galatasaray. Uh, and when he's playing, he's not playing very well. And he hasn't gone to the AFCON either. He's yeah. not been to the Ivory Coast. Your last thoughts on the uh, Zaha question? 
No, again, as Ian said, we're, we're past that now, I think. he a, Firstly, he'd want too much money, probably take up a lot of the budget that we would be possibly using for other people. And again, it's we need to be looking to the future. We do have players who can play on the left. Uh, the young chap we spent £20 million on. So we should be probably focusing on trying to get him up to speed in the team rather than bringing back players on a short term for a few months who will be gone again in the summer, no doubt. And then you've got to start all over again with these players. So... Yeah, I don't think uh, he should be going. Just just going back to Joachim Anderson, the only concern we have with him is if if we're not, we haven't mentioned the other side of that, if these players want to go. Now, he, he actually spoke out against the manager a few weeks ago, didn't he, by saying he, we've got these players on the bench, we should be bringing them on. So that that's the other side of the coin. If, if a player comes to you and says, I want to go, then at some point you probably do have to say, well, OK, let's see if we can get as much money for him as we can. But hopefully that won't be the case. They're all hopefully looking forward to a a new new broom in the summer um and they've been convinced hopefully it'll be an exciting one but yeah it's um yeah it's always a, always a troubling time the transfer window for us because it always does seem to be one way players out rather than in mm. you know that's the players potentially going out uh, i'd like to talk to you i mean i know we've already alluded to the fact that it's likely to only be loans but give me your priorities boys what we need to do first it go so uh, we we, touched, we talked a little bit about this on a previous show, um, but I think we need to pl- replace Czech Decore. You know, we've already said Czech Decore is not going to kick another ball for us probably this season. So I will bring in a defensive midfielder. And that defensive midfielder, providing it doesn't break the bank, uh, is for me is Calvin Phillips. Because he needs to play football in the Premier League to give himself a chance of going to the Euros. Now, we know that Gareth Southgate likes him. He's picking him in that England squad, even when he's not kicking the ball for Man City. Um, you know, downside is, you know, would he want to come to London? He's a northerner by, you know, definition, and he always plays football in the north. He's, he's a young lad still, but I'd have him. I'd have him and, and put him straight in our team as as cover for Takure, providing that he doesn't bust the wage budget. Sam White is saying in the chat, uh, Sam, you're on fire this evening, Lermanit. Definitely needs another holding player next to him. Tim, where do we think where do we need to go first? I think to be honest, right, left back, we need cover there. I mean, how many goals this year have we let in because of that? Um, and then it's one injury. Mitchell picks up an injury, you know, already looking at uh, Klein, uh, bless him, he, he's passed it for me. Yeah, right, left back. Richards can play the holding midfield role. He's shown he can do that. And I think we've got other positions that are more needy at the moment for cover, especially up front. Um, the holding midfielder would be nice, but I think that there's other positions that are more important. Paul, I haven't got my figures exactly to hand, but the last summer, summer transfer window, the Premier League spend was something like, 2.5 billion pounds okay um yes. we spent 32 million pounds on two players a goalkeeper that we brought you could arguably say we didn't need uh, and a young brazilian untried and untested mm. now 32 million against two and a half billion i don't think is a 20th of uh, the spend in the league we must have money to spare somewhere you thought so certainly on the loan market when I mean, we were prepared to offer will for 200 grand a week last summer which didn't really go anywhere so that must be sort of sat there burning a hole for wages if you're just gonna if you're not gonna sign anyone but yeah they have said if the right player comes upon they will they will buy it so there is obviously money there and and it's false economy not to if you see a good deal uh, for a player that's obviously going to be in future plans for any manager or whatever and it's going to help your team then you go for it but there aren't too many of those about which is the problem um so i think we are just we're looking at the loans i mean I, i'm not the biggest calvin phillips fan i'm not going to lie so i wouldn't be overly worried about getting him there's talk of him going to psg anyway and i think without going off onto england i think if he didn't kick another ball all season on the man city bench gareth would take him i mean he's going to take henderson from saudi arabia so it doesn't matter where he's playing or if he's playing to be honest um so i, I personally think we probably need a striker the system we play with roy we showed at chelsea if we had a striker at chelsea last week you can play you can play as defensive as you want if you have someone to take that chance, then you can get a point or three. Um, and it's it's ironic. Two years ago, Mateta, there was talk of him being shipped out then. Uh, he suddenly picked up in form, scored about six goals in eight games, and we all kept him and it was great. And it's, 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 it's great that he's doing it again this time because he's turned into a different player the last few weeks, whether that's because he's got some confidence and he's playing regularly, we don't know. But 
None. I wouldn't if, if he went, if he went clean through on goal. Same with Edward. I wouldn't probably back them to score a goal. So we, if we could get a, a deadly a, a deadlier striker, even on loan, just someone who can take a few chances, then if Roy's going to play the way he does, then yeah, we could sneak games because we take the odd chance we create. So that's probably my priority. But then it, the rest of it is, as you say, it's just squad depth. As you say, a couple of fullbacks, a fullback who can play either side, midfielder, just in case we do get the injury crisis that we've had at the start of the season. But who, who who would you who would you get in? I can't think of anyone. I don't disagree with you, Paul. No, 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 no. Well, this is the this is the age old problem. And there's a lot of talk about the the striker from PSG. We were trying to get in the summer. He could possibly be a, a loan option. But yeah, it's no. But this is the big problem, and this is why Doogie Freeman West Ham is sniffing around him as well. Oh, just in case West Ham is sniffing around. What's his name? in Zaki or something? Yeah, So you know that. If Palace and West Ham are lining up side by side, you know where it'll go to because they'll pay the wages. Tim, you wanted to make a point. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like Ian Lyons often says, it, it's not a matter or a case of how much you spend, it's what you're spending your money on. Um, as we said before, a prime example is, I forget, was it Arsenal or, they, or Newcastle bought White, the Brighton defender for £52 million. For that same money, we got Eze, Olise, Gehi, Anderson and Gallagher on loan. It's not about how much you spend, but for me, what concerns me is the type of player or calibre of player we're going to attract. A, because of the manager situation, knowing that Hodgson's going, knowing the kind of football that Hodgson plays, are we going to find it difficult to attract players that can come into the team? Because also the money that we can spend on players, even on loan, they're not going to be the 80, 90 million pound player that could walk into a team and almost instantly make a difference. We're going to spend nowhere near that. So the players we're going to attract aren't going to be the finished article, probably aren't going to be ones that can come straight into a team and make the difference. So it's, it's a difficult one. There's quite a lot of uh, people in the chat saying Eddie Nketiah, Nketiah. That's a good shout, actually. You know, I'm not sure Arsenal will let him go. He's still getting game time at Arsenal at the moment. He's not starting, oh. but he but he comes on for Hazers. Paul Bristow says if if Tony goes to don't yeah. tell me to the other one at Arsenal is Reese Nelson. You know, again, he's a good young player. He's not getting much game time at Arsenal. He's a forward player. So so maybe him even, you know. Well, I, I did hear I did hear that we put interest in for Nketiah with Arsenal recently and they shut it down straight away. But um, yeah. I think that's based again on their their dealings. There's going to be a few clubs looking around, and as the as the window goes on, we know we don't like it dragging on to the end. Sometimes it has to for these reasons. Moves will start the roundabout, and as I said, I think in the last show, Tony is Arsenal needs a striker even more so after their last results, and I think Tony is sat there waiting for them. He's an Arsenal fan, I believe, so he's waiting to be picked up by them, and then someone like Enketia is going to be is going to be available, and I think he's he's as good a shout as any. Um, he's mobile, he's quick, he runs around a lot and he gets onto, onto long balls. So, um, But that's the thing. So it depends on who the other teams buy that could kick off a, a chain, which could uh, get some good players we could mm. potentially snap up. OK, well, I'm going to leave it there. Thank you, boys. I've, I've enjoyed watching you squirm when I've asked you difficult questions this evening, lads. OK. I'll, I'll, in fact, I'm, I think it's actually quite entertaining. So let's do it again. Right. So who is culpable is the question. Now, we know that Roy's going to go. We know that Roy's struggling. We know Roy's had a tough few weeks. Yes, he got a win on, on Saturday. But the names that we've been linked with, and there's a whole whole list of them, okay, it's just paper talk, okay? We haven't actually got anybody ready in the wings lined up. If it was as simple as the Potter thing, okay, that we're waiting for the Potter contract to run down at the end of the season, I'd accept it, okay? But it's not. We ain't going to get Potter in, a, in not in a million years. I'd be massively surprised if we did. Okay, Nigel, you can clip that, and when they unveil Potter at the start of the new season, you can shove it up in up in backside. Okay, but we ain't going to get Potter. That would be everybody's perfect appointment. I think we'd all probably agree. But there was a list of names that have been banded around by the press. Who is culpable for not having a succession plan in place? Paul. Doogie Friedman. That's his job. His job. We should we should have a list of every position on the pitch. We should have a list of every position off the pitch. Not just because uh, we're sacking someone. Roy Hodgson could walk in tomorrow and say, I want to leave. So Tyrick Mitchell could come and say, I want, I want to leave on a transfer request. We should have a list of three people, at least, in every position at the club, even down to the tea lady, of who we would bring in 
in the event of needing to bring one in the minutes quickly. So, I mean, and again, I don't think they're that negligent that they don't have these lists. I think there's a, a, a there's a wish list, but again, we run into the problem where do these people on the wish list want to come? So we do have we do have these things there, but yeah, there certainly needs to be someone who can sell the club properly to these people because there's too many occurrences where people we want or supposedly want don't want to come. And we know there's potential reasons for that, but we need to get past this because we're looking for a manager. We need to be able to sell this club and get a, a decent manager in. Um, and same with bringing players in. And so, yeah, Doogie should have a list of managers in case Roy decides to leave tomorrow or we decide to dispense with him. Thank you. I know the. Uh, I know. By the way, incidentally, who would replace the tea lady? It'd be that tosser of a Chelsea fan I saw the other night. Ian, who is culpable, please? Yeah, I'd, I'd go with um, with Paul to a large extent, but I think who's culpable is probably Parish and the board. You know, because they're the people that make the decisions on the manager. Um, I think it's a bit different with a manager compared to players. They they need they needed to have identified people. I mean, goodness me, they've had since the summer to think about it, haven't they? You know, I mean, Roy came in to do a, a temporary job for 10 games and did that job and kept us up. Um, and then we didn't have a manager for about a month, six weeks or something like that before they decided to go back to Roy, which uh, Paul's already said he you know, disagreed with. So, you know, I didn't want it. I just thought it was delaying the inevitable that, um, you know, he, he can't go on forever. And, you know, we needed to get another coach in, another manager to, to lead, lead the club. Um, uh, and, you know, whether it was just that we didn't have that person in the summer, therefore Roy was the easy option. That's probably what happened. Um, but now, surely, you know, they've got to have that person or, or people lined up. Um, there's the boy um, Lopetego, um, who was at Wolves. He's been linked with us as well. Um, he, he was quite demanding, I think, of Wolves, which is why it didn't work out there with, with them. So I'm not sure I like the idea of that. Um, we've been linked with the Ipswich manager. Um, I can't even re remember his name, but his name you know, is McKenna. Okay, and Sam White. Can I just jump in there Ian, on that yeah, subject? Sam White said, and this is the only thing, Sam, that I'm going to pull issue with you with what you said tonight. He said, I like Sam, uh, I like McKenna uh, Ipswich, young and has fresh ideas, and he likes his teams to play. If Ipswich don't get promoted, it wouldn't break the bank for us to get him surely. Great point on your last bit, but as Nigel quite rightly said, like, uh, producer Nigel said earlier on, he hasn't wiped his feet in the Premier League. You can't no. appoint somebody. So, so sorry, Ian, I interrupted. No, and I, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, why would he want to come to us when he's got halfway through a project of getting Ipswich promoted back to back from League One through the Championship into the Premier League? Um, I don't think he would want to come to us now. Um, obviously, money talks. And I don't know how much money he's on at Ipswich Town. But I think the point that, that Sam makes, which is a really, really good one, is that if Ipswich don't get promoted, then he's the kind of manager we could go in for. And it will be taking a risk because he hasn't got Premier League experience. And I've always said that we need a manager with experience in the Premier League. You know, we're not a new club to the Premier League. You know, this will be next season, season 12, won't it, I think? You know, yeah. we need someone with experience of this division or at least a top division in Europe. Yeah. Um, what about Paddy, Bruce? Your head says no, not Paddy no. McCarthy. It's even, it's even worse because he hasn't got the experience of, of, of managing on a, uh, this level. And if the pressure of the job is tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Um, you know, they've, they've, everything they do and say is scrutinised and you need that experience. Interesting stuff. Nice. Um, we were talking pre-show about the next the next show that we're going to do. Could you pop that up on screen for us, please, mate? And then the fixtures. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to give you, because we know it's January, we know most of you will now be doing dry January, so you won't be out going getting pissed I'm on not. Friday night, because A, you haven't got any money, and B, we're in dry January. So, we have a little special for you on Friday evening, we're going to do a post-Everton FA Cup game at 8 o'clock on Friday the 5th of January. So be sure to tune in and join us for that, OK? Nigel, let's have a look at the uh, upcoming fixtures, if you'd be so kind. Because in those that you are not aware, OK, we have a little bit of a gap coming up. But do we? Because the boys were discussing this pre-show. You'll see that the on there, the first game on there is the Everton game, uh, Thursday evening, 8 o'clock. 
but the next game following that is the break to the 20th of January, which is where we're away at the Emirates Stadium, Arsenal. However, we've worked out pre-show that should, for any reason, uh, Thursday night's game be a score draw, a draw of any description, they will shoehorn the replay up at Goodison Park between the Everton and the Arsenal games. Ian, you, you, you actually came up with a suggested date for that. What were you saying? Yeah, I think it's Tuesday the 16th or Wednesday the 17th. It will be the, the midweek before the Arsenal fixture, the replay, if, so if, it's, a re, if it's a replay. I mean, oh, look, we, we could be out of the FA Cup before every other Premier League team's kicked a ball. Kicking off on Thursday night. I hope we're not. I hope we're still in it. But, you know. There's Mr. Positive for you, ladies and gentlemen. It's a stupid kickoff time. But as I said on Twitter, it's a stupid kickoff time. It's on terrestrial TV. But get yourself down to Sellers Park. Apparently, Everton have sold 9,000 tickets for this game. They've got the whole of the hard to wait. So we've been told. So, you know, let's, let's fill the rest of the ground and make a lot of noise. And, you know, there's only four games till we go to Wembley in the semi-final. Four games. I bet you those people that aren't going on Thursday night will want a ticket for Wembley. I guarantee that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're not going, or if you weren't planning on getting your sellers down to Sellers Park, ladies and gentlemen, on Thursday evening, let's get there. Don't forget, we're live on telly. We want to show the world what we're good at. And you won't do that by sitting on your ass in your living room. Uh, sorry, Nigel. Pop those uh, fixtures back up. So... We have some winnable games. We've got an easy game at the Emirates, as I've already alluded to. That'll be a, a nice, simple one. Uh, Sheffield United at home. Then the big clash down on the south coast against that lot. And by the way, 75 minutes gone. They're still drawing not, not with West Ham. Then we're at home to Chelsea. Now, we know Chelsea are not a fantastic team. Yes, they beat us the other day, but they were brilliant. They weren't the Chelsea of old. And then... Another trip up to uh, Goodison Park. So we could end up going up to Goodison Park twice within a month. So uh, you never know, depending on what happens on Thursday night. So there's your fixtures coming up. Lots to look forward to. Um, boys, have I missed anything out? Nigel, yeah, ah, over to you, Mr Noble. Yeah, so we thought, you know, we're halfway through the season and we don't talk about this every every show, but we thought we'd just, uh, just talk about the Super 6 and FPL. So Super 6, first of all, Darren... Uh, Depp Ledge, congratulations to you. You are top of our Super 6 League. But look, Paul Gear, you're in sixth. Andrew Adams in the chat of a lot of groups. So I see he's third. Um, Jason Cader, we know, is there. Who else? Um, let's have a look. Uh, Nigel, our producer Nigel, is 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 there in, in 12th place. Um, where am I? Oh, I'm down in uh, 17th. Where's Nick? Oh, he's down in 21st. There we are. That's the top of our Super 6 League, guys. Well done. And this is the top of our Red and Blue Review FPL League. Um, I'm only highlighted because it was my account that we took this off. Um, but we have 230-odd members in this league. Uh, Paul Gear, real panel, playing for Chubbs. You are third. And where are you in the world at the moment? Ranked? Uh, I think we're at 73,000 out of 10 and a half million. 73,000 in the world. That is impressive, my friend. And the leader of this, um, uh, Avengers, um, Kareb. Does anyone know Kareb? I don't know Kareb. Anyway, no. he's in our mini league and he's doing rather well. And he's 18, 18,000 in the world. So congratulations to you out of 10 million players. I'm up to 14th, so I'm actually quite, quite chuffed with that. I've got 90 points, still got Bowen to play. But he's only got 10 minutes left to get me a goal. So it's not looking good for Boeing owners in FPL at the moment. But, yeah, so um, well done to everyone for taking part. It's a bit of fun. It's only a game. Uh, but, you know, it is important. And it's deadly serious FPL, isn't it, Paul? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks. I've got no idea what you've just been talking about. I mean, a Super 6, I send out and be reminded to you lot every week in a couple of the chats. But I, I quite enjoy that one. That FPL is way beyond me. Uh, OK, then let's do that. Uh, Tim, predictions for Thursday night, please. 2-1. Is that a home win, yeah? In that order, yeah, yeah okay. go on. Team Burgers in here, I'll go for 2-1, yeah. Go on in. Okay, Mr Noble. 2-0, Palace. Mr Gear. Uh, I'm going for a 1-0 defeat because I think we're going to play a very weak team uh, and Everton won't. 
Okay. Do you, well, why do you think? Well, why do you think we're going to play a weakened side? Because Roy doesn't care about cups. He never has, and I don't think he ever will. His, his priority is clearly the league, and we, as I say, we do have a break coming up. But there's there's players as they still coming back to fitness. Obviously, at least they won't be risked, and he, he he won't play the youngsters. He won't play the people on the bench. He's reluctant to do it in the league unless he's forced to. He can do it in this game with no pressure. He'll, he'll play. I think he'll play a few of them. Uh, on the basis that the result actually doesn't matter, and I think they will backfire. Well, yeah, I hope you're wrong because I just think I, I can understand if we had a league game the following Saturday, but we haven't, and um, you know it's such a long break to the next game. I think you're right about Elisa, as I said earlier. I don't think I'll risk him, and of course I is missing. But other than that, I hope we go full strength. I really do. And that's yeah, what I do. We can't afford the injuries. This is the problem. And well, we can't, but neither can any Premier League team. Yeah, this is the well, other, other, other leagues. Other teams have got better squads and can cope with injuries. I mean, looking at West Ham and Brighton tonight, they've got pretty threadbare squads out, but they're still pretty strong. And it's, let's just say, let's say we did lose Gahey, uh, did lose Lerma. We're just we're just too reliant on too many people, and I think it's just a risk not worth taking. Sadly, this year, when you're that's in the mid-table and you're happy and you're comfortable, fine, go for the cup. But that's got Richards and Hughes written all over it, isn't it? Um, for those of you who are interested, I, I had to appear on a uh, Everton fanzine website thing chat earlier on today, and I did my usual prediction for that for for that game, and that will be coming out on social media probably in the next hour. I just had a message from them saying. Uh, thanking me for my appearance. And I, like Tim Richards, also went for a 2-1 home win. Um, and if you remember the last time I did it, I called it the Decore, the, the Battle of the Decores, and it was the Decore game where Czech got uh, carried off. So uh, hopefully uh, my prediction comes right this time. Boys, fascinating chats tonight, I've got to tell you. Sorry if I threw some questions at you you weren't expecting tonight, but I think you handled it, handled yourselves professionally and brilliantly. Well done. Um, so our next show is Friday night, uh, live at 8 o'clock. Don't know who's in the chair yet. Don't know who's going to be on the panel yet. And I don't care. We've got a game before that. Thank you, gentlemen, for your company this evening. Really enjoyed it. Everybody in Facebook land and Twitter land and YouTube land, I, I'm also blessed with your company. Thank you very much. On behalf of myself, Nick Philpott, and this brilliant panel of mine, I wish you a safe week. Take care and Happy New Year once again. Good night, everybody. Good night, all. Good night, all.